we've been looking at the uh, Gospel of Luke in chapters 17 and 18. You can turn it to 18 today. We'll be there again. Where Luke is pointing out how gratitude plays a huge part and huge role in our walk with Jesus. For two weeks, we looked at how to respond to God with gratefulness based on what He's done, what He does, and the grace He gives. Today, we're going to look within ourselves. We're going to dig deep into our hearts and determine how we view ourselves and others. Can I warn you that this exercise may be a little painful because we need to get honest with ourselves and what lies beneath. Because, as we see it in the scriptures, what, what's below the surface can cause someone to turn away from God. We have to be honest with ourselves. We awoke Friday morning, and our house was uh, 59 degrees, so cold. We expected it to be like 69 or 70. Our thermostat was in emergency heat, but the gas wasn't igniting and it wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. So uh, I'm not very handy. I have a lot of tools to make me feel better about myself, but you kind of have to know how to use them. My father-in-law is really good at troubleshooting, figuring out what's going on with stuff. And so he came, and he thought it could be a bad igniter. So we pulled off the panel, got out the trusty multimeter, and there was no power going to the igniter, though the igniter was, uh, was working. It, was, uh, it did have a current on its own, but there was no power going to it. That wasn't until I broke that igniter, but that's... Again, I'm not very good. All right, so not very handy. So we know at this point we're at our uh, level of expertise, and so we call in the expert. Um, it could be the pressure switch. Pull, pulls that off, tests it. That's actually fine. Come to find out the fan was clogged with something, causing... Uh, other things not to work properly and air not to move correctly. That's why the pressure switch didn't seem to be working. What, what I'm saying is that we had to dig down and further and further into this system, into this air conditioning system, this heat, this furnace. We had to dig further and further to try to find the issue, to dig deeper and deeper to find the thing that was clogging up the whole system which happened to be two birds, so, you know. Um, and the problem is, and this, uh, this is embarrassing, but I'll embarrass myself for the sake of a point, all right? The problem is, this ain't the first bird that got called in the fan. <laughs> That's embarrassing. And the problem is, there's a vent top of my house, obviously large enough for small birds to get into that the last time I was warned I should go and cover it with some 
with some wire to keep that from happening again. And I didn't do it. Isn't that like our lives? We have to dig deep to find out what's going on. We have to look at our own hearts and in our own lives and look in, to assess the problem, the issue, to find what's deep within and what's clogging up things in our lives. For me and for us, it was two birds. What is it in your life? And will we allow those things to continually and again and again come into our lives without addressing the actual issue at hand that might cause it all to stop? We have to look deep within us to determine what's there at the very core that's keeping us from doing the things that need to be done. Today we're going to look at a fairly familiar story. But there are some things here that help us to self-assess and determine what might be clogging up our lives, if anything. Particularly, we'll look at self-sufficiency that may cause problems for us in the long term. Would you look with me, Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. Would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word? People were bringing infants to him so he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. Jesus, however, inviting, invited them, let the little children come to me and don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. I've kept all of these from my youth, he said. Jesus, when he heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. You got something clogging it up. Sell all you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? He replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, look, we have left what we had and followed you. And he said to them, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left a house, wife or brothers or sisters, parents or children because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more at, at this time an eternal life in the age to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This is a familiar story. In fact, it's a story I intended to start right there where it said a, a young ruler came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, how must I, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I intended to begin there, but in my studies I realized that the two, 
uh, from that moment of verse chapter 15 or verse 15 all the way through, they really tie together because they're teaching something that is very important for us to understand. And it's something about the kingdom of God and who shall inherit it and who shall not. And what we see, the very first thing, our very first point today, what we see in this passage is that the kingdom of God is, belongs to the dependent upon God. The kingdom of God belongs to those dependent upon God. You see, people were bringing their children, and depending on your translation, mine says infants, it really doesn't matter because we see the same principle no matter what. But if it is an infant, we realize infants are beautiful, wonderful, perfect creations of God. And, and, and we have several new infants in the life of our, of our church family and several to come. And I'm super excited about that. Nothing greater for a church to be having babies because that means the church is growing and God is working and moving. It's a beautiful sign of it. But having had four infants, they don't do jack squat. So I don't know if I can say that. I just, it just came out. But they don't do anything. They, they're cute. They're fun. They coo, and they hug you, and they, it's, it's fun. But they don't do anything. They don't do anything. All the things they do, you got to help them. you got to feed them. you got to change those stinky diapers, right? They scream to high heaven at the most inopportune times, and you have to figure out what in the world you're going to do to help them. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, let these little children come to me because this is who the kingdom of God belongs to, people who come in this manner, people who come like these little children, fully and wholly dependent upon God. And as, as Jason pointed out last week, in this whole section, it's this great reversal. It's story after story of these un, unexpected circumstances that the person you think would be able to do something, can't, and the person you would never think would do something, will. Just like the Samaritan, who was the only one to return to Jesus and be grateful when all the others could have done that, and you would have expected them to do that, they did it, and the, only the Samaritan did. And last week we said that the Pharisee, he should have been the one praising God and the most humble and understanding who God was and what God had done for him, and yet he was the most prideful, and it was the tax collector, the anathema of society at that time, the, the lowest of the low that was the one that Jesus said, be like that guy because he's got it right. He's giving himself to me and saying, I'm a sinner, I need you. And here in this case, you would think, a child couldn't inherit. What can they do? They can't do anything to inherit eternal life. And then you have a man, a morally upstanding man, you think could, and he ends up walking away from it all. Why? So the point can be made for you and me that this life and the life to come has very little to do with what you can do to attain it and get it on your own. It has everything to do with your understanding that you must be dependent upon the Holy God to do it for you. To do it for you. A child is dependent upon someone else. And this man who 
had not had, um, who had never had want, who, who had everything at his fingertips, who could find anything that he ever needed, the one who never, never wor- worried about anything and knew who to come to. He knew where to go. He knew who to ask. He had a problem. He understood that at least. And he comes up to Jesus and says, What must I do? Listen to his sentence. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, the problem was he didn't understand how inheritances worked. You think he would, being rich, possibly inheriting money himself to be so rich at such a young age, but he got it wrong. He said, what must I do? The thing about inheritances is inheritances are given and received. They are not earned. The second thing we see here, and I think this is kind of that thing that might could clog up the system if we're not careful. The second point is affluence. The fact that we have anything we could ever want right at our fingertips. If we're not careful, now listen, this is, I, I phrased this sentence very carefully. Do not think that affluence does convince people. It's not necessarily the case, but it can. Affluence can convince people to rely upon themselves only. That's the problem of affluence if we're not careful. Now, how do I know this, right? How do I know that affluence can do this? Number one, we see it here. But just think about our world and just and think about the United States and everything that we have available to us. We live in a predominantly, predominantly affluent society. Affluence can breed self-sufficiency and self-sufficiency causes us to rely and trust on our own self rather than on God. You know where the Christian church is flourishing right now? Sub-Saharan Africa. Southeast Asia. You know that Christianity is bigger than it's ever been? It's growing. You know where it's growing? Places like Afghanistan where they have to do it in hiding. China, where they're, places where they're lucky to have a meal tomorrow. People in those places, not always, but can be less affluent. I'm not saying that that's the only thing. I'm just drawing a correlation here. And they understand, they have the ability to understand, if they do not rely upon God, they may not make it till tomorrow. But see, we live in a society, and, and I try to look up the, the, the demographics on this. I've heard it before. It, it's not really that important, important for me to give you the exact statistics, but I do know, and you likely know as well, that even those of us in the United States who make a, a, a medium to lower income, even here, we are in the top 50 or even higher percentage of the entire world. 
One statistic I did look up, it looks like the median income for the entire world is like $10,000. So, we live in an affluent area, and guess where the church seems to be the least active and the least vibrant? And it seems to be dying because every year 8,000 churches close their doors where we are most affluent. We see that in this passage as well. So don't let me get too far away from the Word of God. Let me see here in the passage what we can see about this. Jesus, knowing the man's heart, does a little assessment on him, saying, well, number one, you call me good. Why do you think I'm good? He knew the man's heart. He knew that the man believed him only to be a teacher, not to be God himself. So Jesus says, why do you call me good? I'm not good. Only God is good. And what Jesus is doing, he's drawing, he's giving a plumb line. He's giving something for which this man can measure his life against, and the disciples as well, and you and I as well, to say, no matter how perfect you may live your life, you will never be as good as God himself you will fail. You will not measure up. You will need help. You cannot attain to it on your own. He's giving them, him this picture of what true perfection is, of what true goodness is, of what living your life in a perfect manner is. He says only God is good. He asked him how he's treated God and others. He says, okay, well... Uh, let me tell you this. You've got some, uh, you got some really important commandments, and I'm sure you know them, but uh, let me tell you what they are. And Jesus go, proceeds to tell him all the commandments that have to do with him uh, addressing other people. And so he says to him, he says, well, have you uh, committed adultery? Have you murdered? Have you stolen anything? Have you lied to anyone? Have you honored your mom and dad? It's all the commandments of the Ten Commandments that have to deal with people. And what we have to understand and realize about this is that how we deal with others is a great indicator, number one, of how we view ourselves, and number two, it's a great indicator of what we think about God. How we treat others directly correlates with our love for God. That's why Jesus said when he was asked by the man trying to test him, the, the expert of the law trying to test Jesus and catch him in uh, some kind of blasphemy or heresy, and he says, Teacher, tell us what is the greatest commandment. And Jesus said, It's two. It's not one. It's two sides of the same coin. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on this, all the law and prophets rest. Loving God and loving other are two sides of the same coin. If we do, and there's other scriptures that tell us, if you don't love your brother, you can't love God. Because they all correlate. So what he's telling this man, have you loved others? And he says, hey, I've done that from childhood. From childhood, I've done everything that you said, and Jesus, knowing his heart, says, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. How did Jesus know? 
He's Jesus. How does you know what's in your heart and my heart? He's Jesus. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows what's beneath the surface. He's the expert coming to find the two dead birds clogging up the system. Jesus knows. The, the beauty of it is he doesn't have to pull all that apart. He just knows. Jesus knows. He's Jesus. He knows our hearts. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And there's no sense in trying to hide from Jesus. He knows what's deep down. So we must be honest. The man, the thing that he lacked, he lacked compassion on others. We're going to talk about that in a moment in the next point. But let's first focus on why we know that he lacked compassion. He lacked compassion on others because he was too self-absorbed. Look at what he says. Yeah, I've kept all those things from my youth. I've done all those things. And Jesus says, no. You lack more. You lack compassion. Affluence can blind us to think we can do it ourselves. What does he say? He says, yes, I have kept all of those commandments. I am morally upstanding. I am morally righteous. I have done all those things. What he meant is he's done it in his own strength. You see, the, the Ten Commandments were never just merely to be a list of rules that you could attain to on your own. There's supposed to be a list of rules to show you you can't do this on your own. And he didn't understand that. You see, affluence can blind us to think we can do it ourselves, that we don't need to depend on anyone else, especially God, especially Jesus. The third thing we see is how we engage with others is a key indicator to how we view ourselves. As I was preparing for this message, I... I like I said, I'd, I had intended to only start right with the rich young ruler. And one commentator pointed out this idea behind the rich young ruler's lack. Jesus didn't tell him to get rid of his possessions just any old where. He told him to give them to the poor, to care for others. Jesus knew what was under the surface in his life and and he knows that how we care for others or have a lack thereof in caring is an indicator of where our hearts are. Are you generous? Do you give to others? Do you care for others? Scripture says how we treat others indicates whether or not we could even possibly be entertaining angels in Hebrews 13.2. How you love others and care for others is also an indicator of how you love God. When we've been given so much by our God and we understand that, we ought to be people who give also. We just talk about for grat gratitude for just a moment. Now, I'm not saying that we have to go everywhere we possibly go and give all of our possessions to the poor. I don't think that's the point. That was a specific thing for this specific man. What's, what matters most is where is our heart? Where's our heart? 
Do we care about others? Do we care about other people? Does someone, someone's genuine story of difficulty and trial and financial burden or uh, whatever they may be facing, does it pull on our heartstrings so that we're willing to say, yeah, I want to be helpful. I want to be generous to you. I want to help you. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, listen, if you love others, if you care for others, if you're willing to go take care of the, the destitute and the poor, and depend on me, come and follow me. Don't forget that. You and I also can't just go out and give all of our money away and expect that's how we're going to uh, inherit eternal life. Jesus didn't say that. He says, go give everything you have, and then come follow me. That's what we have to do. We have to be generous. We have to be kind. We have to be compassionate on those we come in contact with. The last thing we see is after the man leaves, and we see that it's difficult for the self-reliant to be grateful for God and his provision. The story continues after the man leaves uh, with uh, his countenance has fallen. Uh, it's, it's really similar to Cain when, when God told him that your sacrifice didn't measure up. And the Bible says that his countenance fell and he walked away. This is kind of the same imagery here in this man. He, he walked away sad is what it said, extremely sad because he had many possessions. What's that saying? It's saying that he cared more about his stuff and his things than other people. And certainly about the kingdom of God. Jesus says someone with a lot of stuff is going to have a tough time getting into the kingdom. This was a, this was a radical statement. This was, uh, it took the disciples and those gathered around, it took them by surprise. And, and G Jesus even added to it to say, it'd be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, some people suggest that maybe this is a, a gate in Israel that's kind of low and crunchy. You'd have to take off your load. It's not what Jesus means here. He's talking about an actual camel going through the eye of a needle. This was an idiom. This was something that people used to explain something. It's kind of like what we uh, say uh, in, in our day. The first one that came to my mind shows you where my mind is. Is like we go to hell in a handbasket. Well, you know, that's not like a literal place, right? I mean, hell is, but not the handbasket part. Like, we use it as an idiom to, to show the craziness of the situation. That's what Jesus is doing here. He says, the eye of the needle is so small, nothing can fit through it except for a tiny piece of fabric, much less a giant camel weighted down with all kinds of loads. The point of the matter is not this little idiom that Jesus used that people get distracted on. The point of the fact of the matter is what he says next. When they say, what do you mean? How can anybody get to heaven then? Jesus says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. That's the point. We are wholly, utterly, and fully dependent upon God for what we have on this earth, but much more how we enter the life to come. 
You and I cannot enter the life to come in our own strength, with our own righteousness, with our own stuff, in our own self-sufficiency. It will leave us wanting terribly. We must, like the little infant, like the little child that Jesus said, let these children come unto me. Like those children who couldn't do anything on their own, you and I come to God and say, Jesus, with me it's impossible, but with you, anything is possible. We are dependent on God in everything we could possibly do. Here's the thing, we need God and we need to have the right framework to say, God, I can't, oh God, but you can. Of course, that, that brings us to the close of our, uh, our service. We're almost done here. And here's the thing that I want to do. Uh, in a, in, I'm not Jesus. I don't even try to imagine that I am. But Jesus did a little self-assessment on the man's heart. Can we just do a self-assessment on our own hearts for just a moment? Am I depending upon Derek and Derek's righteousness and Derek's morality and Derek's affluence and self-sufficiency? Or am I every day coming to a place where I am depending more upon God Almighty? And I pray that you would ask yourself the same question. And if your answer is anything but, yes, I'm depending more upon God, my prayer is that you would take this moment to seriously seek out the Lord, ask for his help, trust him more, follow him more, rely on him more. Don't hear me say there's a list of things you ought to do more. If we add a list to this, we've messed up. We've done the same thing everybody else does. We're the Pharisee that says, look at me and the list I've kept. Woohoo. Let's be like the man beating his chest on the ground and saying, God, if you don't do it, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm stuck. I can never do it. So my prayer is that's what we would pray today. Hey, listen, maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ or, or maybe you even think you have. And be careful here because I don't want to be one of those preachers that I, I got baptized four times because I got confused, all right, when I was saved all along. But some of us are putting our hope in the fact we walked an aisle as a child and that's all we're putting our hope in. That's not enough. It's not enough to just put my hope in that I did an action one day. What we must place our hope in is that, Jesus, I need you every day. I need you every day. So if you're here today and you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't be like the man who walked away. Be like the child that says, I don't know, but I know I can't do it. And I know I need to depend upon Jesus, and so I'm going to do that. You might even fumble through a prayer. And so you don't have to walk in the aisle. You don't have to say a sinner's prayer, quote, unquote. You don't have to say all the right words. At the core of it all, what you got to do is say, Jesus, I can't, but you can. 
And I'm trusting in that. So friends, if that's you today, fumble through a prayer, but let it be heartfelt and let it say at least those things. I can, but I know you can. Would you say? If that's you today, come. I'd love to share. I'd love to walk you through that and pray with you, whatever I can do. If you need to come today and just pray here at this altar and say, Lord, I want to depend on you more and less on me. You come. Maybe you're even considering what God is leading you to, you and your family, to be a part of a faith family that's walking together, walking towards Christ. And you want to be a part of this church and be a part of this body and serve God together in this community and see God do amazing things. If that's you, you come. Whatever God is calling you to in this moment, listen and hear and follow. And if I can help you in any way, let me do that. Would you stand? We're going to sing. We're going to pray as our team is coming to lead us. And we're going to sing. And God, I pray, is working in our hearts and moving in our lives that will change us today. Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you. We trust you, Lord, to do what only you can do. Your word has been spoken. Your word has been looked at today, Lord, and it's piercing our hearts, I pray, and I pray that you would work and move in our lives and change us, Lord, because you are someone we can run to, Lord. You are a good, good father that we can trust in and help us to do that today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.